Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dapper Dan Gavosnin. And I am, of course, mischievous Mark Janacchio. And, Mark, we are joined today for, uh, I guess, a more somber affair, although certainly this seems to be, 2018 seems to be the year of kind of somber affairs in regards to Spider-Man and its creators. Yeah, um, you know, we're, we're here and obviously we're going to we'll be talking about the recent passing of Stan Lee, the, the co-creator of Spider-Man. And really just, I mean, he's much more than the co-creator of just Spider-Man. I mean, he was the, the big bang of, of Marvel Comics as uh, our, the guests that we'll be joined with in a bit will be discussing at length. But, you know, just in terms of uh, what had happened, you know, uh, Stan Lee died on, on November 12th. He was at Cedar uh, Sinai Medical Center. He was 95 years old then. I mean, a really great, great full life. Uh, he was buried privately uh, very recently. And, of course, you know, we, we lost Steve Ditko, the other co-creator of Spider-Man, uh, earlier this year. But, you know, Ditko, for the better part of the last few decades, has kind of lived a more reclusive life, whereas Stan you know, to the very, very end, I feel, was still very much in the public image. I mean, unfortunately, some of the more recent news reports regarding him and his life weren't always the most pleasant things, I think, we as fans to read about. But, I mean, Stannis has always just been this fixture in, in pop culture and in media. I mean, for as long as I've been alive, and you as well, obviously, Dan, and predating <laughs> us, you know, the last two seasons of Amazing Spider Talk have dealt extensively with Stan's work on the character for the first season, obviously him and Ditko. Uh, and we have a, a great interview with uh, a writer of, of, of a Stan biography. The writer's name is Bob Batchelor. So that uh, episode, it's season one, episode six, Excelsior or Excedrin. Uh, so that talks a lot about Stan's career and influence. And then, you know, again, in the, in the Ditko and Ramita centric episodes that we did in season one and two. We kind of talk about the Stan's dynamic with the artist there. Um, I mean, Stan's Stan's fingerprints are all over our work for sure, for certain, Dan. <laughs> yeah, right. So today, you know, I don't want to get too deep into those details. Like, uh, let's start off, Mark. Let's talk about who was Stan to us, because truly, we can't speak to. Uh, like a, a deep relationship with Stan. Like, I don't know if you've ever met Stan. I met him a handful of times, but I can't say to have an actual relationship with the man. And so I think the better thing to do is to talk about, like, who was Stan to us and how did we react to the news of his passing? So, Mark, why don't you start off with you? Like, what what is Stan to you? <laughs> I mean, it's it's just so funny because... And, and again, we'll talk about this in a little bit with with our our guests. But you know, Stan Stan was just so much more myth than anything else to me. I mean, I I never got to meet him, but he was obviously just kind of a part of my life. I mean, for as long as I was reading comics, for certain, and even predating it. I mean, that my I've talked about this to some degree. I mean, my my first interaction with comics was actually. Well, it was a combination of the Saturday morning cartoons, and then it was like the Secret Wars action figures from the from the early and mid nineteen eighties. And you know, I, of course, at that point, I didn't know necessarily who Stan Lee was. And and even when I started reading Spider Man, I don't know if I knew who Stan Lee was. But like, as as I became more and more of a fan, it was like kind of like this 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 figurehead of, of who this person was who created all this. And, and 
Dan, probably to your dismay, even back when I was younger, I, I, I never, I always kind of gave the writers and the editors more credit than the artists. <laughs> Except for Todd McFarlane, that was the one exception. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, you know, for the most part, like I, I always thought of Stan as the guy. He was, I mean, because, and that's the way he presented himself. I mean, and 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 it wasn't to to the discredit I feel of the of the Dickos and the Kirby's and and the Ramitas and everyone else who worked alongside Dan Stan, but like, you know, every time I'd see him on T V or in an interview, I mean his cameo in Mallrats, the Kevin Smith movie, which was <laughs> You know, probably the crudest you'll ever have, Stanley, in, in, in a, in a, a uh, mass-produced uh, piece of uh, media for certain. You know, he, he just he seemed both so relatable, but also so otherworldly and and mythological. I I think that's the dichotomy that just makes him as a person just so extraordinary. Because like he did just seem like this genuine kind of a schlub, you know, <laughs> for lack of a better word. I mean, like, you just see, you know, like, kind of, kind of a carny, but like, I don't know. I, 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 I had no, like, I didn't distrust him or anything, but you know, like, it's, it's, you, you, he, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm terrible with words right now, Dan, but, um, you know, when, when I, when I heard of his passing, you know, I think in, in some way, I think Ditko's death set me up for this. Like, I was, legit shocked when Dicko died, even though Dicko was only five years younger than Stan. It's not like there was a major age gap there. So I think that kind of like almost in its own way kind of prepared me for this. Like, you know, this idea that these these larger than life kind of mythological figures related to this medium that I love so much might be going. But it still just kind of seemed jarring because it's like the idea of you know, Stan, Stan has just been so ingrained in, in, as a part of who I am and what I love that, like, you know, I mean, he might have died, but I don't think he's gone. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about with you? I mean, how, how did you feel? I mean, what's your take on what happened? It's really hard, like you said, for, for me to know how to feel about it because you're right. Like Stan was part of everything that I loved as well, you know, and, and still love, you know, like whether it's opening up comics for decades, it says Stan Lee presents, you know, mm. this guy was everywhere. And I, 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 for the life of me, can't recall what it was like to first kind of learn about Stan Lee and learn who he was because he was everywhere. Like I can't imagine me knowing comics without Stan Lee, even though I got in, like you said, in like the 300-something issues, you know, like where, where Stan very much wasn't a part of that. But then there were, you know, the 90s cartoons, the Fantastic Four show and Spider-Man show, where he would do, you know, introductions to every episode or something, you know, and it was, this guy just was everywhere, there was no escape from him, and you didn't want to escape from him because he was often the highlight of all these things, or he was the guy that brought the myth and the value to things, you know? Uh, he was the guy that made it a legend beyond just kind of a, a fluke. And, and I quickly associated him with that. And I couldn't tell you why other than just kind of the pure enjoyment of his voice, his candor, his language, and some of the comics that I was reading, you know? Like, 
you couldn't get away from Stan. And, uh, you know, since his death, I've really been thinking about that a lot. You know, even Stan Lee is not his real name. He was Stanley Lieber. Right. And he was initially ashamed to kind of put his real name on comics because he always thought that he would be the guy writing the great American novel. And that never really came true for him. But instead of writing, you know, like the great American novel or, or an, a story, he created something even greater. He created myth. And mm. like uh, to the point that his name is Stan Lee now unashamedly. Like that is his name, you know. Like what, what became a disguise became his new reality. And I just think there's a lot to be kind of gained from that. The, the idea that you kind of work with what you got and you do your best where you're at. And, you know, that can be enough or, or more than enough for anyone. And that's kind of what I've been thinking about, you know, in, in his death is the kind of beyond the characters he created or the, the, the industry that he revolutionized is just, you know, like him as a human being, uh, like what was it like to kind of do that? And what are the lessons I take away from him as a person beyond being like a good person and, and espousing good moral values? Um, our friend of the show, Alan Schurstel, wrote a really great piece, you know, and it, it basically said, you know, that his comics were were revolutionary. But we, what we can really take away from Stan is like that he lived he was a living embodiment of his moral code. You know, the idea that with great power must also come great responsibility. This guy put his moralizing into his comics, the Stanley soapboxes in comics. We see them today as a big cultural, you know, force, but back then they were something disposable. And even then he felt the need that it was a value to espouse morals and, and push for against bigotry and, and things like that, and I find that really moving. Like this guy, even in his own limited realm, wanted to find a way to influence the minds and lives of other people to make them better. And um, you know, I, I don't know what else, like how you even begin to sum up who Stan Lee is to me, because it, it, it's so infected every element of everything that I care about. So I don't know. I, I was very sad the day that he passed. And not even directly through the man, but through, like, the, it seems like the end of an era. And I spent the whole day just reading articles about him and hoping to get any anecdote that I could, you know, out of stand. Because we're not likely to have that big of an outpouring of stories about him ever again. Maybe when yeah. a movie comes out about his life or something. But I was wanting to soak that up as much as I could. At the same time, like, it does feel like... We've heard a lot of the stories. I mean, when you read the interviews that Stan gave, I mean, I did a lot of reading of interviews when I was writing the book uh, a couple summers ago. I mean, it's a lot of it, and I don't say this as, a, as to be derogatory, but a lot of this is the same stuff over and over again. I mean, like, you know, it's like he, and we'll, again, we'll get into this in our conversation in a little bit, but like he, he kind of embodies in, in its truest sense of who he is, the mythology of who he is. And I, I don't know if there is anyone else out there that's existed that, that kind of captured it quite that way. You know, it's, it's truly something extraordinary for lack of a better word. I, like, I, I, you know, I don't know 
how else to put it. it I, I just feel like you're not going to see someone like Stanley. I don't think you're going to see someone like Stanley ever again. I don't know. I mean, and I'm not just talking about for comp, but just like in terms of the, the alignment of pop culture in, in this fashion. I mean, I think he's that important and, and that distinct in terms of who he was and how he presented himself and how he sold himself and just the whole thing. It's hard to put a value or any kind of like meter on his influence when the very words that I speak, the kind of language that I use came directly from him. You know, like reading his comics where he's putting SAT words in every other word. You know, like I have to think that so much of my interest in vocabulary and writing and 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 being an intellectual came from a grounding in his comics of all places you know and and what how do you how do you value that there is no yeah. value for that it's just it's a it's a cultural force like you said and um i was thinking like how do you you know measure him up to other others like like you said you know like i was thinking about steven spielberg i would consider him the greatest working filmmaker and he certainly changed cinema you know as we know it you know he turned the blockbuster but we would still have cinema without, you know, Steven Spielberg. I don't feel like we would have comics, especially superhero comics, in the same way that we have them without Stan Lee. Like, I, I, it, yeah. it's hard. To, it's hard to even consider. And I don't even think like the the biggest fans of Spielberg have the same kind of emotional relationship that fans of comics and fans of Marvel comics specifically had with Stan Lee. I think that's the other kind of defining trait here. There was just something so magnetic that made you feel like, not that you necessarily knew him, but like he was just every bit a part of it as, as the, the characters themselves, uh, you know, like it, it, it's, he, he was in essence, his greatest creation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as we've been seeing that, that kind of upbeat personality of inclusivity and, and passion. I think for a lot of people, he became emblematic of those character traits, you know, like you, he was more than a man. He was like, uh, like ideals, you, you know, like you looked at this guy and said like, this guy loves what he does. I could only hope to love what I do, you know, to even a tenth of the degree of who Stan Lee is. And in that way, like I, I said on my Twitter that like I felt like my grandfather had died. But it, it's almost – it's beyond that. It's like I kind of feel like a, this this passion for com- – a person like that embodies a passion for comics and loving of comics passed away. as like an emotional range. Yeah. Well, Dan, as we've been alluding to throughout this, this intro here, um, we're going to, we're actually going to be joined by uh, a friend of the show, Jerry Conway. He's going to talk a little bit about, you know, not just uh, his personal relationship with Stan, but, you know, just his thoughts on, on, on a lot of the things that we've been kind of, opining about here i think it's a great conversation he's jerry says things probably better than we've been rambling on about right (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think this is one of the hardest conversations you and i could have on the show is like what do we say about stan lee you know yeah i I just don't i don't know what to say um but it's clearly important enough like I, i don't know about you but i got text messages all day long from family members and friends saying, I'm really sorry for your loss, which is kind yeah. of bizarre. Like, yeah. like a third person, you know, they know I don't have a relationship with him, 
but they know I would be that sad and that impacted by his loss. Yeah, I mean, I, the same here, Dan. I got text messages. I was getting tagged and stuff on Facebook. I was having people say, I had someone say to me, you were the first person I thought of when I saw this news. And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I'm, I'm quite touched by that. But at the same time, it's just it just goes to show, right? I mean, <laughs> Maybe we're just really vocal. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking well, of which... Let's get to our interview with none other than Jerry Conway. We got, again, the fans love your sense of humor and, uh, and, and, you know, it's well. It's a, it's an equal love love fest because I love my fans. I cannot tell you how much I love my fans. They sometimes at night I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, ah, what's it all about? You know. And then I get a letter from a fan, or I read something, or I see something or I remember something, and I realize it's so lucky to have fans, fans who really care about you. And that's the reason I care so much about the fans, because they just, they make me feel so great. And there's something, if you think about it, that is wonderful about Somebody caring about you, as I care about them, whom you've never met, who may live in another part of the world, but they care, and you have something in common, and occasionally you contact each other. And this business of fans, I think, is terrific. And I love them all. Well, Dan, we're uh, being joined here for this episode once again uh, by none other than Jerry Conway. Jerry, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a pleasure, guys. Well, Jerry, obviously, I mean, in addition to being a figurehead in the comic book industry for 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 decades, you know, your one of the, your big distinctions in your career was you were the first uh, regular writer to follow the Stan Lee run on Amazing Spider-Man. So, you know, what what better person to come on to talk a little bit about um, Stan's legacy uh, to our to our Spider-Man fans here? You know, we might have talked to you a little bit about this when probably when we first had you on a couple years ago. But in case we didn't get to the meat of it, I did. I did want to ask you a little bit about when you did start writing at Marvel and specifically when you took over this Spider-Man from Stan, I mean, did, what was kind of the relationship you had with Stan at that point? I mean, was he was he more of like a, a mentor or just kind of a figurehead who would float in and out of the offices? I mean, what was kind of the dynamic there from your end? Well, when I first, when I first came to Marvel, Stan hadn't yet made his new deal to be publisher of the, of the company. So he was still editor in chief. And as such, you know, he, he oversaw the books, read all of the books and, and, uh, made comments and, and, uh, 
directed them, but the day-to-day work that I did was with Roy Thomas, who was Stan's assistant uh, at the time and became more and more hands-on as Stan uh, you know, relinquished some of those uh, duties. I'd say that initially, you know, I was just in a state of awe. <laughs> and any time that I was in Stan's presence, I, I guess I was kind of reduced to a, uh, a fanboy. And uh, in, in that kind of a circumstance, you don't really take in very much other than, I don't know, just a generalized anxiety to make him happy with my work. And mm. uh, he seemed to be, you know, I mean, after an, an initial uh, reluctance to take us take me on they fairly quickly you know made me a fairly uh, regular part of the uh, the operation so we got along you know i mean i think i think of him at that time as more like a, a godfather than a father figure you know more like a uh, an uncle rather than uh, you know someone who was directly overseeing me an avuncular presence you wrote this wonderful uh, personal essay, uh, I guess, on your blog that yes. I'll, I'll link to in the show notes for this episode that I, I recommend all of our listeners go and, and read. And, and and you wrote in that essay that, in effect, Stan, like, helped to, like, quote, create you. Could you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I mean, we are created by the influences in our lives, you know, and how we respond to those influences. As I said in the in my post, I encountered Fantastic Four when I uh, number four uh, when I was uh, about nine years old. Which, you know, that's that's the beginning of middle school. That's the beginning of your real search for identity and uh, and self. And that look. And the Marvel bullpen behind it, you know, sort of became an opening into a, a whole new world, you know, of, of, of possible career choices, possible way of, of living. You know, before that, I was always a geek and a nerd and liked reading to the exclusion of, you know, normal activities. But I didn't have any idea of what that could mean, you know, how that how that could you know function as part of my life. Uh, but reading Fantastic Four and then realizing that there were people behind the creation of the, these things that I really uh, loved, you know, that gave me a direction in life. You know, it gave me something to shoot for. And Stan's voice as a writer, his uh, his interests as a writer uh, uh, were very accessible to me. You know, as a, as a as a nine year old at the time when I was developing my own sense of what what kind of writer I wanted to be. I could, you know, if Stan had never come along, I don't think that I would have not been a writer, but you know, I might have gone more heavily into uh science fiction as a uh you know, science fiction uh stories and, and novels as I, I dabbled in, you know, in my in my teens. Uh I might have made that more of a career. I think I may have may have pushed earlier and further into being in uh in film and television. Comics became, you know, my uh, my art form of choice, and that was almost exclusively because of, you know, the influence that Stan had on me. So he basically created who I am, <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> and and when you started writing regularly in comics, I mean, did you kind of just 
unknowingly or knowingly pick up on certain standisms in your writing? I mean, were there things that you did where you tried to distinguish yourself from Stan? I mean, you know, yes, you were created by him, but, you know, sure, we're, sure. All, we're all rebels to our parents, right? I mean, Absolutely. so... <laughs> But what I, what I think, the, the biggest influence that Stan had on my work was, uh, I mean, well, a, a sense of melodrama, obviously, uh, and a very strong sense of character, which, you know, when you go back and read these books today, there's, they aren't that heavily, uh, char- uh character driven because, you know, there was a, a different time and a, and, and a different, different level of depth, but, it was a direction, you know, it, it pointed a direction that you could go. I think I took it further than Stan did. Uh, I tried to go deeper than Stan was interested in going. You know, I, I took what I felt were the logical next steps or the emotional next steps for how to, how to present these characters and their problems. Stan opened the door. He, he said, you know, these are real people with real emotions uh, who are acting based on those emotions, which was not really the, the, the way that comics had been set up uh, before that. You know, before that, you know, you had superheroes whose primary emotion was to catch the bad guy. I mean, that was it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Batman was probably the deepest character, and they really didn't play with his motivations at all prior to the 70s, let's say. So Stan actually gave you the idea that... Uh, Character motivations and, and character uh, arcs were important uh, to writing comic book stories. Like I say, I think I took it much further than Stan would have done. You know, I don't think Stan would have, uh, if Stan had killed off Gwen Stacy, for example, I don't think that it would have been as traumatic. <laughs> you know, it, it wouldn't have been as complicated, you know, in terms of cause and effect. And, uh, it wouldn't have had as, as much resonance and consequence in Peter's life from that time forward. I mean, I think it would have always been there, but it wouldn't have been like uh, a driving story force the way I, I tried to make it. Mm. So th- in that sense, I think I rebelled from, from Stan, uh, from Stan's influence just simply to carry it further, to carry what he had, what he had set into motion further than he probably was comfortable would have been comfortable doing because of the inherently limited focus of our our show we you know always look at things from the kind of spider-man perspective and and discussing stan through the lens of spider-man and his work on the various you know titles that he's worked on over the years in that regard but you know to look at stan in that aspect would be to really ignore uh, you know his overall contributions to comics uh one of the other things is Mark and I weren't around in the 60s to really kind of see what it was like to kind of suddenly experience Stan's effect on not only comics but pop culture in general. I wonder, could you speak about, like, what was it like being that nine-year-old boy and <laughs> discovering Stan Lee? You know, like so many of these fads come and kids get obsessed with them and then they go. But somehow mm-hmm. we're still talking about Stan Lee 50-plus years later. Uh, yeah, sixty yeah, what, years later, almost. 60 yeah. Years, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I I think it was a, a, a comparable thing would be the Beatles, <laughs> you know, in, a, in a very real sense. You know, rock and roll existed before the Beatles. Pop culture and pop music existed before the Beatles. But the impact that the Beatles had was so revolutionary on almost every aspect of of music 
in the 60s that today you cannot really imagine music without the Beatles. <laughs> you know, you can kind of imagine music without Chuck Berry. It'd be very hard, but, you know, you kind of can. But even though the Beatles only were around for like uh, as, a, as a pop culture active force for about eight years, you know, from about 62 to, to 70 when they broke up, they influenced an entire generation of, of creators that followed them. And that's what, what Stan did. I mean, the, Stan, comic books prior to Stan were specifically aimed at young kids. I, I met Julie Schwartz when I was about 14 years old, 15 years old. And I met him at, uh, at DC Comics uh, at, at one of their tours. And Julie was having a conversation with some other fan and was trying to make a point. You know, he was trying to make a point about the readership. And he turned around and he looked around and he saw me in this crowd. And he said, you, how old are you? I said, I'm 14. I think I was 14 at the time. He said, oh, you're too old. <laughs> Literally, as far as Julie was concerned, his readership were 10-year-olds to 13-year-olds. And that every three years he had an entirely new group of readers. So they recycled stories. They recycled ideas. They, they recycled uh, everything, you know, because they, they felt like they had a completely new readership every three years. Stan, on the other hand, perceived the idea of, of uh, an ongoing readership that potentially could stay with the books forever. I don't think that that's what he, you know, he had it as a conscious idea. But he was writing for an audience that extended from 10 years old through 25, 30 years old. And nobody had done that. I mean, literally nobody had written for an older audience uh, over the age of 13. Uh, you know, even EC Comics, which was the most mature uh, series of, of stories, you know, uh, books uh, prior to, to the Marvel Comics, I think their their maximum age that they were aiming at was maybe fifteen year old kids. Mm. You know, they did the gross out horror comics. They did the the, the, the smack you in the face with a fish uh, uh, comedy comics. Uh, they did uh, you know some norish you know norish light type suspense comics, but they didn't perceive their audience as adults. Stan kind of did. I mean, on some level, he was writing for himself. And, and a lot of the winking and uh, cleverness, you know, that, that, that he brought to it that I can appreciate now as an adult, I didn't see when I was nine years old. It's really, it's almost impossible to describe because it's, it's, it's like trying to describe uh, uh, a world in which there was only black and white television. You know, nobody can quite grasp that today. <laughs> you know, you're sort of like, oh, why would they, you know, how would that be, you know, and uh, um or, or like I, I sometimes, you know, when I'm when, with my, my daughter, uh, my younger daughter, you know, I'll say, you know, you, you live in a world in which you've never had access to a smartphone. Uh, you've never had immediate access to anything you want to see on TV. Uh, I grew up in a world in which when the phone rang, you had to answer it. There was <laughs> no choice. You know, you had to that phone. If you wanted to watch a television show, you had to plan out your week so that you could see that show at a given time. Uh, and the odds of you seeing that episode again, you might luck out and see it again, you know, six or eight months later, 
when it was on reruns potentially, but in all likelihood, you'd never see it again. There's no way to really get that across because we live in this world in which it permeates, you know, all of uh, everything that we're talking about is based on a set of assumptions that literally did not exist 60 years ago. <laughs> uh, what was the world like before Stanley? It's impossible to say. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that the medium as it is would even would exist still today without Stanley? Like, would there be superhero comics without him? Like, or would it just the comics and and that medium pass into kind of a specific type of art art focus rather than a, a kind of broad consumer product? I actually don't know how. I, I, I mean, I it's hard to say. I mean, you can never you can never completely give a definitive answer to, to, to a what if like that. But let's say that there had been no Marvel revolution. I think DC would have still gone on. I don't know if there would have been a Batman show because the Batman show in part was a response to the popularity of comics, pop culture, you know, as a pop culture phenomena, which was driven by Marvel. There was an article in Esquire magazine, I think, in 1965 about Marvel Comics and its popularity on uh, the popularity of the, of the, of the comics on uh, uh, college campuses. And it was sort of like, a, well, this is a weird, freaky thing that's happening. So that put the idea of comics into, as a pop culture phenomenon into the air, which then led, led to... The Batman show. I mean, I may have my timelines completely screwed up because I was a kid at that time. But but I think that you can make an argument that Marvel Marvel's growing media presence led to things like the Batman TV show, which kept DC alive, uh, which in turn, you know, made it a viable company up into the 70s when uh, the Superman movie came out. And then the Superman movie kept kept comics alive uh, until the Batman movie came out and so on. Marvel didn't actually participate in that part of the, uh, uh, the media growth of comics, but it kept it a viable art form during the period when studios were making decisions about what types of projects to embrace. It's just weird. I mean, I, I don't really know how to describe it because again, uh, it's a what if, and it's hard to it's hard to really say. But uh, without Stan, I think you would have just had more campy kind of superhero stuff. You know, like the Batman show would have been the attitude that you would have brought to superheroes, rather than Superman the the, the movie, which which treated the character with respect and probably could only have happened because there was a growing sense that comics were worthy of respect. I mean, when you talk about Stan and in these terms, I mean, you know, like obviously a big part of the success in addition to the characters in the universe he created was how Stan sold it, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, you know, before we get into Stan, the salesman, I I, I did want to talk a little bit about, because there's another thing from your essay, this idea of, the real Stan, quote unquote, because I, you, you, you had a, an interesting take on that where, you know, if it, it, it seems like, you know, who we saw in the media, if, if, at the end of the day, you seem to be, you seem to say it was the real Stan. And yet I feel like 
people have a hard time accepting that. <laughs> like they, like they, they want, they want to think that he's someone completely different when the cameras are not on or when he's not talking to the press or when well, he's not interacting with fans. I don't know what it is. What do you think it is? What, what's, well, where's think, the, I mean, the, vibe? the truth is he was a human being, you know, I mean, he was, he was a person, uh, he could get, he could, ha- he had a temper, you know, he could lose his temper. Uh, he wasn't always completely affable. He wasn't, he he was a basically kind guy, I think, and a, and he think, I think honestly he meant well, but he could be selfish and he could be self centered. But what he managed to do over the course of his lifetime was really become the person that 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 he was portraying. You know, I mean, he he, he could be petty, he could be mean spirited. So can we all? You know, it's just whether you're aspiring to something that that is better than that and he i genuinely think he did you know he was an interesting guy um what what struck me most when i first met him was how much he was like the stan of of the of of the uh, letters pages you know the stan of the of stan stope soapbox uh this kind of affable uh, fast talking uh, caricature you know almost of a, of a a madison avenue type you know and I always wondered, you know, was there any there under there? You know, you could say it seems shallow, but I don't think it actually is. You know, I think it's I think it's a, uh, you know, if you're genuinely a pretty optimistic, happy guy and it works for you, it has worked for you to be that guy in public. Eventually, that's just who you are, you know, so. I think he was tickled pink by the by the fact that he, uh, <laughs> given the fact, uh, given how he was alienated from the business in his thirties, that all of that turned around, you know, and became uh, he became a star, you know. And who thinks that things like that could happen to them? You know, it's. Uh, I mean, you guys are both in your uh, mid to late thirties, early forties, right? I mean, just about, and. Just think about if you suddenly, you know, turned around tomorrow and podcasting made you a superstar. Writing <laughs> <laughs> about you and 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 wanting you to 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 go to college campuses and talk about your podcasts. I mean, something that you just like to, to do, that you like that you were having fun doing, suddenly becoming, you know, a major uh, social force. I mean, I think that would just blow your blow yourself. Your uh, your self perspective completely out. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> Mine is already blown out the window by by the very fact that I get to talk to you on the show so frequently. <laughs> I've been fortunate in that I, I I sort of dropped out of comics for for a number of years and missed any real adulation from my thirties through my my sixties, I guess. Um, and as a result, I don't have a swelled head about any of this. So I'm always ap- amazed that you guys want to talk to me. So So speaking of which, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think fans and, and a lot of articles have been reading over the past week have kind of really seized upon. And you're talking about is like that Stan kind of knew how much he was loved by fans and, and how much that kind of animated him. Uh, can you can you speak to that? Do you have any understanding of like his kind of perspective in regards to his fans? I, I, I hadn't really been in touch with Stan for the last ten years or so, so I don't know how he felt about it. You know, uh, since the Marvel movies started happening, 
which really put the whole thing on a whole nother level. You know, I know that he, he did have a sense of himself as a, a, uh, a culturally important person. You know, back in the 70s, he, he tried to start up a uh, local access cable TV show that he was uh, the host of. And you don't do something like that unless you think that you have people who are interested in, you know, hearing what you have to say. So I guess he did know, you know, I mean, he certainly knew that he, when he went to conventions and, and to uh, college campuses that a lot of people wanted to hear him and wanted to talk to him. But I think he was also, you know, as I say, he's kind of surprised by all of it on a on a daily basis. You know, it's like you wake up every day and go, I, I am like the luckiest guy in the world. That's how I feel, you know, for myself. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed that stuff that I did when I was in my 20s, you know, is, ha, has, a, has a social impact today. I mean, just flabbergasting to me. Uh, and I've got to think that... that, that that unless he was a complete sociopath, which I don't think he was, uh, Stan would have a similar uh, have had a similar reaction. You know, and I feel like even after his death, there was still talk of this, like at least like on Twitter and stuff. I mean, this idea that was his legacy complicated. I mean, and and specifically as it relates to his relationship with the artists and getting credit with you know specific and with Kirby and Dicko and and what I mean. What do you, why do you feel that that is a narrative that has taken hold? I feel more recently, like maybe the last decade or two. And I mean, is this, is it truly Stan? Is this, I mean, is this, is it Stan's fault? I mean, is it the way way he's presented himself? Has this kind of been brought upon him? Or like, I'm just curious where you, what your take is on that. Well, I guess I, I guess because I never perceived that the artists didn't get credit. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I mean, Stan, from the time that he first started giving credit in the books, always gave equal credit to the artists. You know, he called himself the writer and the artist, the artist. Uh, and there can be some debate, you know, over whether that was a fair assessment. But that was kind of the traditional way that you broke it down at that time. And, and he wasn't going to. Uh, and, and by the way, he gave. Ditko credit for plotting Spider-Man. I mean, it's, it's the, the thing that always frustrates me about the people who, uh, who criticize on behalf of Jack and, and uh, Steve Ditko in particular is that there was some kind of assumption that these guys asked for things that Stan was unwilling to give them, you know, that Ditko wanted more credit and Stan said no. Well, that's not the case. You know? yeah. I mean, Ditko wanted credit for plotting, and Stan gave him credit. It yeah. was right there. Uh, Kirby didn't want to be known just as the artist, so Stan started calling it a Stan Lee Jack Kirby production rather than uh, you know Stan Lee writer and Jack Kirby artist. The real problem was that Stan was a very charismatic, very charming interviewee subject. You know, he was a guy who was very easy to interview, uh, very, very pithy, quotable, fun, flattering to reporters. And reporters are lazy. Uh, <laughs> they are not they're not really, you know, they're, they're not. Many of them are working on a deadline and they're looking for a quick and easy way to, to uh, uh, sum up their story. And I, I know from 
reports that Jack Kirby in particular was seriously offended by the way that he was described in a story uh, that came out in the late 60s that he took to be Stan's fault, uh, that uh, you know Stan should somehow have protected Jack from the way he was described as this kind of stogie-chomping, blue-collar uh, craftsman rather than you know the, the genius that we know he was. Well, that is hardly Stan's fault. You know, I mean, the fact is that if I, I knew Jack, I actually probably knew Jack as well as I knew uh, Stan. I worked with Jack uh, in a couple of different uh, circumstances, uh, both at DC near the end of his, his uh, uh, run there and at Ruby Spears uh, a few years later in animation. And Jack just could not communicate with other human beings. <laughs> he couldn't do it. He was, he was, he was very smart, but he, but he spoke elliptically. He, you know, went off on tangents. You know, he was so full of energy and ideas that, that getting him to, to say something that, that could be quoted would be almost impossible. Now, whose fault is that? That's not Jack's fault, and it's certainly not Stan's fault. Mm-hmm. But if you're a reporter and you're interviewing Stan and Jack, you're going to come away thinking that Stan is the guy who knows what's going on. Uh, that's just how it is. And now, I, did Stan take advantage of that? He may well have. But I also think that, that if either Stan or uh, that if either Jack or Steve had been willing to uh, just address these issues with Stan, that he would have said, sure, you know, absolutely. Let me, let me see what I can do to, to, to make this work better for you. I, that's my personal take on Stan. Stan never wanted to, uh, I mean, it, in all my dealings with him, he never struck me as somebody who was like overly interested in taking all the credit for himself. Now, over time, I, I think that in response to some attacks that were made on him, he probably overestimated his own contribution to things. But I, I genuinely don't think that he, uh, you know, was trying to cut these other guys out. You know, when he said that he created the Fantastic Four, I think he honestly thought that he did. And I think, honestly, he did. Because you can take the Fantastic Four and compare that to, say, Challenges of the Unknown, which Jack Kirby created. And let's be honest, you know, I mean, <laughs> Challengers is a fun book, but there's no characterization. There's no balance between the characters. You can't tell one of, one from the other. You know, did Kirby say, hey, let's use the Human Torch? Kind of doubt it. You know, the Human Torch was a Marvel character, and Stan was probably looking around saying, what what characters can we can we put in here? These are not characters that's, that Jack Kirby would have created. You know, they're, they're not as interesting as Kirby's own creations later were. You know, a stretchy guy, an invisible girl, uh, a, a ripoff of Carl Burgos' Human Torch, mm. and a pile of rocks, you know, that was like <laughs> a, you know, the monster that was in a Marvel monster book. That seems to me like a Stan Lee project. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some of the stuff Stan created on his own in the, the 80s, you know, when he was doing things, they're not that imaginative. And the Fantastic Four isn't that imaginative. Neither is Spider-Man when you come right down to it. Uh, what, what's imaginative about it is in the writing and the execution. And to that degree, I think Jack and, and uh, Steve, you know, raised the bar. 
uh, and brought Stan up to a level where, you know, he had to write to what they were creating. But the initial impetus for these ideas, I, I, I honestly think probably was, was Stan. So in that sense, did he create them? Yeah, I think so. But, you know, we don't have time machines. We can't go back. We can't look over his shoulder and, and see. But you can sort of look at the material and say, this doesn't seem like a Jack Kirby project. You know, this seems like a Stan Lee half-assed put together you know, <laughs> kind of lame ideas. Just as when he was working on his own later, that's what he did. You don't love Stripperella? <laughs> <laughs> or look at the Just Imagine books. Remember the, the Stanley cre- recreates uh, uh, Superman. Stanley, you know, there's something about that stuff that's just just not that imaginative, you know. So yeah, the imagine the imaginative part of Marvel, I think, uh, had a lot to do with Kirby and and uh, and uh, Ditko and their uh, uh, what they brought to the table. But the the impetus for some of these projects, I think, came from Stan. So in that sense, he created it, but he didn't create it by himself. And that's where I think he made a mistake in not giving them their full due for what they brought to the to the projects. One of the things that I think there's no mistake about who created it is Marvel itself, like the idea of Marvel in pop culture, the idea of the bullpen and all of these other fantasies that Stanley created, including Stan himself, like as this pop culture character. Can you speak to, I mean, you worked there, you know, as much of a there, there as there is, like, can you speak to his creation of the idea of Marvel being like Mm. Marvel in general or whatever? Well, it was a, it was a, that was a game changer. If you were a fan of DC Comics, you were a fan of specific editors at DC Comics. You weren't a fan of DC Comics as a, as a, uh, a group of books. You could love Julie Schwartz's books and not read a single other DC book. <laughs> and in many cases, you didn't. You know, I mean, if you, if you liked the Superman family, you probably didn't like the Batman family. You know, if you liked uh, the war books, you didn't care about the superhero books. Uh, if you liked their uh, TV comedy spinoff books, you know, you, you didn't care about anything except those books. So there was no there there with DC comics. What Stan did was, was interlock all these, these books. And he did it in a very uh, specific way, you know, both by creating uh, a world in which all these characters interacted, but also a meta world in which, the creators interacted, you know, the, uh, the bullpen, the, the Marvel bullpen, which was kind of lifted, I'm sure, from the EC letters page uh, and the idea that, uh, you know, there were creators behind the books. But EC never took it to the degree that Stan did. I mean, they came out with a, a, the Merry Marvel Marching Society, which I was a charter member of, uh, <laughs> was huge. I mean, it was, the, it was a way to sort of participate with as a Marvel fan, you know, create yourself as a member of this, this group of people that uh, were Marvel fans. And it came with a record, which uh, if your membership kit came with a little record, a little plastic record that you had to put onto a 45 that you already owned and then put that onto your, your uh, uh, record player to play. And it kind of was scratchy and bumpy, but on it, you would, 
you had this tour of the Marvel offices where each of the creators said something, you know, so that they became real people. Uh, as I say, the, the reason that I have a career in comics is because there was a, a set of role models, you know, that, that were there uh, for me to emulate, you know, comic book creators. And they were at DC, they, they were at Marvel. They weren't at DC, you know, uh, Julie gave credit, uh, started giving credit to some of his writers and artists on, you know, books like the flash and, uh, and green lantern and Adam. But for the most part, the books were written anonymous, anonymously, and uh, you really didn't know who these people were. The Marvel story is that creation of a shared universe and a metaverse, you know, above that, you know, of creators, a company that you could, you could pledge your allegiance to, <laughs> to the Literally. Marvel Marching Society. Yeah. Jerry, over the last week or so, I mean, what 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 have what have you made to, to I guess the kind of the general reaction to um, Stan's death in the comics community, the fan community, the media? I mean, are, I mean, do you, I mean, you obviously were able able to express your thoughts on your blog, but I mean, from some of the other stuff you're seeing, I mean, are are, are people getting it right, so to speak? Or? Yeah, I mean, Stan means things to different people, and I mean, and he and he comes in different contexts. There are people like my daughter uh, who was affected by Stan's death, even though she's never read a single comic that he wrote or even actually read a Marvel comic. But she's a huge Marvel superhero movie fan. So her reaction to his death is that the guy who did the, the who was in the cameos, you know, who uh, was the voice of Marvel uh, and the, like the spiritual uh head of Marvel in some way that mattered to her. You know, that was her personal reaction. Then you have the people who are thoughtful about it from a pop culture point of view. Uh, and they have their reaction, you know, which is similar to my own. You have people who worked with Stan and we have our own, you know, personal reaction to him as a human being. He, there are very few people, you know, who literally change a culture. You know, and Stan actually did that. I put him up there with people like John Lennon. You know, I put him up there with with uh, artists like Pablo Picasso. Uh, I put him up there with Hemingway. Each of those people had an enormous influence within their sphere, but then that played out in larger sense in the culture uh, as a whole. Modern art, you know, affects everything in our culture in terms of design, uh, uh, fashion, you know, so Pablo Picasso has an effect that ripples beyond just cubism. You know, it goes out onto everything. John Lennon, uh, as a member of the Beatles, uh, revolutionized uh, how pop music expresses culture, you know, I mean, and, and reflects back on culture. Uh, Ernest Hemingway influenced an entire generation of writers, you know, I mean, you can't, uh, there isn't a writer alive today who who doesn't have his roots at least partially in Hemingway. Uh, And Stan, you know, I I think his impact spreads both through the comic book world and uh, even our, even our concepts of today of gender and, uh, heroism, you know, are influenced by Stan. You know, I mean, cosplay, take cosplay as a simple example. The idea of grown adults dressing up 
outside of Halloween, you know, and then cross-dressing, you know, within that, that's a reflection of comic book culture because those, those superheroes, I mean, if, if you just look at them as, as uh, figures in, if they were real, say in the 1960s, if these characters were real, they would be really weird. You know, I mean, they're, they're wearing the, the, they're wearing these, these skin tight outfits that are very revealing, uh, very sexualized, uh, you know, in a way that the comic book characters from the thirties and forties really weren't. And you, and you're looking at them and you're going, Whoa, you know, uh, that, that, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, how do you, how do you separate that out from the sexual revolution in general? I don't know. It's part of the whole package. Um, it's just real interesting. He's, it, 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 I, I think people will be writing about him for decades. We're not going to really have a perspective on Stan's impact on the culture for maybe twenty or thirty years. Wow! You know, just like just like we when Dickens. I mean, people forget people forget this now. You know, because Dickens is such a huge part of uh, uh, literary history. But Dickens was considered at the time this hack writer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He was he was a newspaper. He he, ha, he published newspapers with with melodramatic stories that 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 were serials that had no end. You know, I mean, just like like comics uh, today. But he transformed what we expect from fiction. You know, prior to that, fiction was supposed to be uplifting and um, you know the, the 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 work of the the, the for the elites for. Uh, uh, poets, poets, and uh, you know, I mean, it was just something amorphous and and transcendent. And people like Dickens brought it down to earth to the to the masses uh, and created a created literature as a uh, as a as a part of pop culture. Stan has done that with comic books, and Bill Mayer, notwithstanding. Uh, <laughs> You can't you can't say that that's silly. <laughs> it's yeah. really not because uh, pop culture is culture. You know, uh, we we may not we may not always understand it, or you know, it's it's we may not always know why it uh, why it's important, but it is it is the culture. And Stan was a premier figure of that culture for fifty sixty years. It's so fascinating to me that like this big change came through what was considered like a low art form and within his lifetime, you know, which was a rather long lifetime, he got to see himself validated and that art form validated in, in the form of how he always imagined it up on the big screen. Uh, like I couldn't, it, it's incredible to think about. Well, yeah, but, but you know, every single major art form started off despised. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, look at jazz, uh, rock. Uh, I mean, we're talking about pop culture to a degree, but even uh, art, it, you know, the idea of painting was originally a commercial art. A lot, you, you had commercial art that was either for religious purposes and then, you know, you, you painted for the church. That was it. You know, that was your, your choice. You could paint for the church or you didn't paint. But then around the 1600s, uh, people started making enough money to hire artists to paint their pictures, you know? So we have Rembrandt, we had Vermeer, we had, uh, artists who suddenly went from being all about 
uh, high art to commercial art. And those are now the artists that, that then that leads, you know, ultimately on and on and on, you know, through progressive stages, you know, uh, to uh, art today, you know, which is totally commercialized, but still usually inf- influential. Uh, animation, another form that started out as, as junk. And nobody would argue that the Pixar films aren't close to art. Stan, Stan took a form, a, a field that uh, really was junk. It was junk. You know, it was, it was supposed to be throw, throw away uh, disposable junk. And he elevated it just enough that people who came along after him were able to take it the rest of the way. And now we spend, what, hundreds or thousands of dollars on that disposable junk from the 60s now? <laughs> or fools us, but what are you going to do? <laughs> the reason it's so expensive is because it was disposable. There's, there's so few left. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Jerry, thanks again for coming on the show and talking to us about this. I, I think you provide some really awesome insights. I'm always happy to chat, you know, and sometimes – Makes sense. <laughs> Glad you caught me on a good day. We'll take it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Hi, this is Angel from Puerto Rico. Uh, my only experience with Stan, I, we had a brief meeting with him, my wife and I, for a photo op in April of 2017 for Fan Expo Dallas. Uh, photo ops move really quickly, so so it's all fast, fast, fast. So I had my script ready. I was going to tell him thank you for everything but Spidey most of all. But when I got to him, I got flustered, and all I could get out was, hi, Stan, thank you for everything. Without missing a beat, he answered, you're welcome for everything. We took our picture, and we moved on. When we When they handed us our picture, I was like a kid again. It was it was an amazing moment. I'll be forever thankful to Stan for helping to create some of my favorite comic book characters. I'll always appreciate his sense of humor. He had a sense of humor about himself. He was self-deprecating. And I'll be grateful that he knew how much he meant to us. Thank you for everything, Stan. Rest in peace. I'm going to miss Stan Lee. I'm going to miss him a lot because he basically created my childhood. I wouldn't be who I am without Stan. It's going to be a rough few days and maybe even months, but together as Spidey fans, I think we'll get through this and we'll allow Stan to live on through being fans. Hey guys, it's Phil here from the RSRG Entertainment Podcast. And I just thought that I needed to call in and talk about my memories of Stan. Stan Lee is one of the greatest American icons to ever live. He's one of the greatest pop culture icons. He created my childhood, your childhood, and most of America's childhood, whether it be through his creation of Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, his work on all of his awesome Marvel creations. Stan has really left a legacy for myself and more. My favorite Stan memory, or one of my oldest Stan memories, is the first time I read Amazing Fantasy 15. I remember as a kid, someone giving me a copy to uh, read in a reprint. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I ever read. And then hearing Stan's voice on the 
cartoon and ultimately seeing him show up in the amazing, I mean, the Spider-Man cartoon in the animated series. Stan has always been part of my childhood, whether it be through cartoons, comics, his cameos in the movie, Stan has always been one to stand up for comics, and I'm so happy that he's had such an amazing life, but I'm so sad that we lost such an amazing creator, comics icon, and ultimately a man. Stan, you are the man. Excelsior. Hey, guys. It's been two, two days, and it still hasn't sunk in. Stan was the man that you always thought that he would live forever. He always had a smile on his face and a story to tell. He raised us all and thus it's like losing a family member. I don't want to say much, so Godspeed my friend. Until we meet again, Excelsior! Both Stan Lee and Steve Ditko were up there as far as that age, but, you know, losing both of them in the same year is still a really tough pill to swallow. Uh, to me, uh, Stan Lee, he was a huge part of my childhood. Even though I think Steve Ditko, he brought a lot of the soul to the creation of Spider-Man, I think Stan brought the heart. Um, with great power must also come great responsibility. That's a mantra that I try to aspire to every day of my life. It's um, why I chose to help others for a living. It's, I try to impart the same values to my son. Some say that uh, Stan's greatest creation is Stan Lee, and I really do believe that. Uh, he gave men and women of all shapes and colors something to look up to, and that despite your flaws, you can still do good in this world. Rest in peace, Stan. Hey, Dan and Mark. This is Jason from Montreal Calling. Uh, traveling the world, as usual, in my lovely job, which means I get to find out about all the news um, that's comic-related through Twitter and through social media, and, you know, I wanted to call, um, obviously, with what's just happened with the passing of Stan Lee. You know, uh, a lot's going to be said from celebrities and people way more important than me on, you know, what this person had on the impact of the comic industry throughout his entire life, but, you know, if it wasn't for someone like Stan and his vision for our Marvel Universe, that all of us could enjoy and read stories that changed our lives, and create podcasts to talk about these stories and more importantly to make friends along the way by reading his work it's truly been a special journey for me and i know for you guys so anyway just wanted to, to call in and say that stan will live on forever and my enjoyment of his characters will as well so thanks guys have a good show bye-bye hey mark and dan uh it's gavin from indiana uh, I've been a fan of superheroes ever since I was a boy, and uh, now that I'm a grown-up, I've been experiencing the comics from all different uh, ages, and in particular, kind of the ongoing Spider-Man books, and that's how I found your guys' show. Um, and none of this stuff would be possible without Stan Lee. I've been a superhero fan, like I said, uh, since I was a youngster, and then I've also grown up uh, with the MCU movies, and my face just lights up every time I would see Stan's cameo. And it's uh, going to be a whole lot different, a lot sadder now that we're not going to get those anymore. Uh, I've been working on a comic book of my own with one of my friends, uh, and we're going to plan to launch that. And my inspiration is you know, directly from people like Stan Lee and then 
Uh, my friend, the artist, is definitely, you know, a Steve Ditko guy who also passed this year. It's just I'm very sad to see that our great comic legends are leaving us, but they're not leaving us alone. They've left our these characters uh, that we'll have for generations and generations to come. My name is Eric Christopher Myers, and I'm a writer and filmmaker out of Baltimore. I am both of these things because of Stan Lee, who seeded my imagination and inspired me to tell stories of my own. Growing up, first on reprints and then later on first editions of the early work on which he collaborated with Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, it had a profound influence upon my impressionable mind, and I learned, along with so many other kids and adults alike, that anybody can be a hero or a role model, regardless of gender, skin color, economic or social status, or even superpowers. Stanley's limitless creativity, visualized by the artists who refined and built upon it, is the shared cultural mythology of the 21st century. Apart from Tolkien and George Lucas, few can ever claim so deep a well of invented history. Excelsior, Stan. The world is a little dimmer now, but your creations shall endure. You know, I guess one person can make a difference. Enough said. <laughs>